if you put Clorox on butter, like something terrible happens. I don't know exactly what it is, but don't 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 do that. Coming to you in your speakers from Dubai to all around the globe. This is James Reynolds Traffic Jam Podcast. Five, four, three, two, one. Hey there, listener. Welcome back to Traffic Jam. This is session number 36 of the podcast show that teaches you how to get more traffic, leads and sales to your website and build a profitable audience online. I am, of course, your host, James Reynolds, and I'm very excited to have you back with me today for another action packed episode. Today, we'll be joined by Jay Bear from convinceandconvert.com and the author of the book, Utility, to learn why smart marketing is about help and not hype. We also have the one-minute traffic tip, this week's news in traffic, then the part of the show that gives this show its name, The Traffic Jam, a musical jam chosen by our guest today to play out the show. The Traffic Jam Podcast with James Reynolds. Before we start the interview, allow me to introduce my guest and co-host of today's episode. Jay Bear is a tequila-loving, hype-free strategist who's advised more than 700 brands on their marketing strategy since 1994, including 31, no least, of the Fortune 500. He is the only officially licensed barbecue judge to be featured by the Associated Press, CBC, Forbes, Fast Company, and USA Today. He's a podcast host, an agency founder, a spokesperson for the juvenile prison system, a brand marketer, political consultant, and the author of two books, The New Revolution, and more recently, Utility. So here we go. Here's the interview with Jay. So welcome, listener, to the interview section of the show and a big, warm Traffic Jam welcome to my podcast companion on episode 36, Jay Bear. Jay, how are you? I am delighted to be here. Thank you very much. I am fantastic. Hello to everybody out there. Awesome. Well, you've got this book and a whole approach to marketing that you call Utility, where you say that buzz marketers have got it all wrong and SEO and inbound marketing folk like me are missing at least half of the picture. What's the other half? Well, the other half, in my estimation, is to just be useful. That if you create utility, which I define in the book as marketing so useful that people would pay for it, that customers will keep you close. Look, I, I love SEO. I love inbound marketing. I've been doing it for years and I've been a consultant in that, in that side of the thing for a long, long time. But the challenge is that it, 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 it doesn't create demand, right? Yeah. It just fulfills demand. So no, nobody goes to Google and says, Hey, uh, I would like to buy something. I don't really care what just surprise <laughs> me, right? It doesn't, it doesn't really work like that, right? So, so you search, uh, when you are already in the funnel. You, you don't add people to the funnel with inbound marketing. And that's why even though inbound and SEO is incredibly powerful and incredibly important, 
you, you shouldn't try and only do that because you are missing out on some potential customers. Yeah, and you've, and you've only got half of the picture, as you so clearly say. I mean, people don't just go to the first result on Google and look no further. If they're into a buying decision, they're going to spend a little bit more time researching, evaluating who, what, where before they actually make that decision, right? Absolutely. I think the problem that we're all faced with right now in marketing, especially online marketing, is that um, technology and the pace of change and mobile has conspired to make us all think totally like hunters and nobody wants to think like a farmer. You have yeah. to recognize that, that not every customer is going to go to Google, click the first result, you know, land, land on your squeeze page and instantly give you money. Yeah. So, so, some will. But most won't, right? We have to understand that that marketing and customer relationships are typically built over the long term, not not one click. Uh, and and you know you have to be good at both. Yeah, sure. Well, let's put together perhaps some examples of utility marketing. The the core of it is that you're useful, and the the content or the um, marketing that you create is inherently valuable. Give us some examples at play of who might be using utility marketing and some of the best practices that you've seen um, out there. You know, one of the things that utility requires is courage. You, you have to have the courage to to trust that your customers will reward you eventually. You have to be okay with eventually. And and one of the examples I talk about in the book, Utility, which, have, which is spelled Y-O-U-tility, by the way, uh, one of the examples I use in the book uh, around courage is, is Clorox. So Clorox, of course, makes a very popular um, uh, cleaning product in the States, and you use it to, to remove stains. They have a mobile app called the My Stain app, which shows you what to do if you spill things on yourself, which is very, very useful. <laughs> if, you know, if you, in fact, have spilled something on yourself, it's amazingly useful because it breaks it down by you know what the material is, uh, wool or cotton or polyester or what have you, and then what the stain is. Is it wine? Is it blood? Is it ballpoint pen, et cetera? Um, and when they were developing this in the company, they had two big fights in the organization. The first fight was, well, should Clorox always be the answer? Yeah. So no matter no matter what the stain was, should the answer always be Clorox? And some of the people on their marketing team said, well, of course it should because we're trying to sell stuff here. Yeah. And then somebody else said, well, yeah, but actually we're not always the right solution. Apparently, they told me this, if you put Clorox on butter – like something terrible happens. I don't know exactly what it is, but don't 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 do that. Um, so they're not always the right solution uh, in truth. And, and also, if they're always the solution, doesn't it change the very nature of this thing yeah. from a utility to basically a very very complicated brochure? Yeah. And the second fight they had internally was, well, of course, there should be a coupon in the middle of this, right? Because you should be able to hold up your phone at your grocer and get a discount on on Clorox because we're trying to move product eventually. And that sounds reasonable. But again, somebody said, well, yeah, but if there's a coupon right in the middle of this, doesn't this become not so much a utility that people will cherish, but just a price promotion that they might tolerate. It changes the way this whole thing is perceived and what it means. And so in both cases, they had the courage to hold the line, to, to produce content that was honest and authentic and produce content that wasn't trying to close the loop immediately. And I think that's really commendable. And that's the way most good utilities are. It transcends the transaction. Yeah, and this all builds trust, right? If you're not inherently promoting your own items all of the time and sometimes you know acknowledge that actually there's other solutions out there that for your particular scenario might be a better fit 
certainly going to build you know trust with the consumer to say hey look these guys are actually honestly trying to help me they're not just trying to sell to me all the time and trust is the most important thing in business trust is the prism through which all business success must pass. And we don't talk about it nearly enough because without trust, SEO is irrelevant. Without yeah. trust, price is irrelevant. Without trust, marketing is irrelevant. Without trust, customer service is irrelevant. Without trust, everything we do as marketers is literally irrelevant. And one of the best ways to gain and keep trust is to be massively useful when you don't have to be. Yeah, yeah. And I guess transparency is also key to this right and this i think this is a concept that you also talk about in your book is be overly transparent like share everything let people see the inside so that they can really see for themselves what you're all about yeah it's it's definitely a trend there's been a couple of good books uh, lately written about uh, radical transparency and it's it's no doubt um a best practice for companies. Now, full transparency is very difficult to achieve, especially in a corporate environment. In a smaller company environment, though, it, it is doable, especially if you build your corporate culture around it. I'm uh, uh, an investor in the company Buffer, which you may know and some listeners may know. It's a yeah. social media sharing tool, and uh, they have a corporate culture, which is 100% transparency. Mm -hmm. So they publish on their blog the salaries of everybody that works for them. Uh, they publish on their blog the same information that I get as an investor, all their exact financial statements, everything else. That is a core principle of, of the organization. And you want to talk about something that gains trust. Uh, they literally have nothing to hide. And, and yeah. while that's not 100% um, doable for some companies, you can you can get there. There's an amazing example um, in Canada and also in Australia now where McDonald's, the restaurant uh, chain, has this program where you can ask them questions about their food, and they answer them in very, very honest ways. They shoot videos of, of sort of the truth. Somebody asks them, hey, uh, how come the food I get at the restaurant doesn't look like the food in the commercial? And of course it doesn't. And they said, well, here's what happened. They, sh they uploaded an eight minute video that showed everybody a, a commercial shoot and they showed the food stylists and how they, you know, kind of plump up, plump up the buns and they make the ketchup just perfect and things like that. Uh, and so they actually sort of pulled back the curtain and said, yeah, we completely use artists to make this look perfect. But here's the thing. The food they use in the commercial is the exact same food. They get it from the closest restaurant. So yeah, they make it look great, but mm. it's still the same beef. It's still the same bun. It's still the same pickle. They just take the roundest pickle they can find. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this is a great conversation. It's actually one that I had with a mutual friend of ours, Joe Polizzi, back on an earlier episode. And I guess the challenge comes up with this kind of transparency approach is businesses thinking that they've got some form of kind of intellectual property or trade secrets that, you know, may be disadvantageous to, um, to them to share, you know, openly on the marketplace where their competitors could find them. What would you say to that? Well, it's funny you mentioned Joe because he and I did a presentation together uh, about that topic at a New Media Expo conference a couple of years ago. It was called Why You Need to Open the Kimono. And he and I actually wore kimonos during the presentation. It was <laughs> probably a low point in both of our careers, really. Oh, but, well, uh, love it. But it was a lot of fun. The pictures are out there. Um, and, and the premise is exactly as you say, right? A lot of people are afraid to give away the quote unquote secret sauce. Yeah. Um, that, that somehow if they have a, a blog or videos that kind of talk about the truth that, that their competitors will steal that. Here's the, here's the reality. Um, one, you probably do not actually have secret sauce. It's it's a little bit, uh, I think, egocentric to imagine that you have some sort of knowledge 
that your competitors don't. Second, the chances are, even if you do have secret knowledge, your competitors already know it. Somebody who mm-hmm. used to work for you now works for them. Somebody who was your customer is now their customer. Knowledge has a tendency to get passed around very, very quickly. And the third thing, and, and this is sort of the thesis of Joe and I's presentation, and I talk to my clients about this all the time on the consulting side, which is a list of ingredients doesn't make someone a chef. If you write a blog post or you do some videos about kind of what you really do as a business, that doesn't necessarily mean that somebody can take those blog posts and replicate your whole business. That's really undervaluing what you add to the equation as an individual. Uh, and and so I, I am not concerned at all uh, about that kind of situation. What's your utility over at Convince and Convert? I think we... Uh, our premise is to be in the and therefore business. Uh, and I call it the and therefore business because, um, and I'm speaking about the media side of our business, not the consulting side. Mm. You know, there are lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of blogs and websites out there that that cover the news. Here's what happened today in social media. Here's what happened today in content marketing. Here's what happened today in SEO. We're not that, and we don't want to be that. We can't compete with that. So we are in the and therefore business. So what what our job to, is is to say this happened, and therefore here's what you should do in your company. And we try and adhere to that philosophy both in our blog and in our daily email and in our weekly podcast, um, try and bring people lessons and advice that they can't find uh, everywhere else. Yeah, and I like that. I mean, uh, you know, if that if you become that kind of news reporter, you do become very vanilla. You're just, you know, you're just regurgitating the same old piece of news story that every other site out there is, right? But people really want to know and understand what your actual opinion is on that particular news story or piece of content, right? I'm sure that your engagement is a, is is a lot higher as a result. Well, and it also helps because we do so much corporate consulting that that the things we blog about are the things we get asked questions about from our clients. And so yeah. there's nice there's nice synergy there. Uh, a lot of times when when clients have uh, a question about something, they say, "Yeah, we just wrote about that a couple of days ago, right?" And so there's a lot of um, there's a lot of cross pollination there. It may not be as obvious uh, as it could or should be on the surface, but behind the scenes, um, there's a lot of similarity to what we do on the content side and what we do uh, on the consulting side. Yeah. Now you've got some great examples of utilities over at utilitybook.com. Some are quite obvious like CrossFit who publish all of their workouts for free on mm-hmm. their website, but others like Kleenex's flu prediction tool <laughs> or the uh, the billboard that creates water out of thin yeah. air. They're, they're way more creative and of course far less obvious. What are the steps our listeners should go through to identify their utility? I'll tell you my favorite new one, which isn't on the website yet because I just found out about it a week ago, but I've already put it into my presentations. Uh, it's called Tweet P, uh, and it's from the diaper company Huggies. Oh, I love it already. <laughs> only available in Asia right now, but the way right. it works is that it's a little plastic device that you attach to the diaper of your child, uh, and when it senses wetness, it sends you a direct message that says, hey – the diaper is wet. Here's how wet it is. Does oh. the baby need a change? And then it tracks your diaper usage and then recommends to you when you should go buy more diapers. Love it. That's, yeah, that's awesome. It's really, really good. <laughs> I like it because it actually closes the loop, right? It actually has a, a sort of commerce play in there in terms of giving you a calendaring uh, on when you should purchase. Yeah. The, the most important thing, James, to to create great utility 
is to understand your customers better than you understand them today. Uh, because if the whole premise here is to create marketing so useful that people would pay for it, to create marketing that people actually cherish, you really have to understand the bigger story. Uh, the example I use is that nobody really wants socks. What they want is warmer feet, mm. right? And in almost every case, your product is not what they want. Your product is a means to an end. You have to understand the bigger story. And and the challenge that we're faced with today as marketers is that we have more data than ever. I mean, we are surrounded by data, uh, but we are in many cases starved for insights, and, and every time you think about your customers using a spreadsheet or a report or an API, you are most definitely thinking of them as a number and you're, and you are removing from that equation the bigger story. So what I tell marketers now is that you really need to find a way to have conversations with your customers, whether that's in person, whether that's on the phone, whether that's via email or Skype or something else. You need that, that intrapersonal feedback more than ever. And in many cases, we just don't have it because that's where the great ideas for utility come from. That's where the things that you're like, wow, um, that, that would only come from an insight, not from data. So that's the, that's the most important first step, and it's often overlooked. Yeah. Now, of course, having a utility is only going to be effective if people find it, Jay. What are some of the most effective ways you've seen or used to get traffic to and engaging with your utility marketing? Yeah, you nailed it. I mean, I see this all the time where people create cool utilities, but they roll them out and nothing happens. Like literally, it's like pfft, nothing <laughs> happens. Nobody, nobody visits it. Nobody shares it. Nobody clicks on it. And in many cases, it's not because the thing wasn't any good. It's just they didn't put enough emphasis behind it. Yeah. What I say in the book and in, and in presentations is that you have to market your marketing. You have to treat your marketing assets like a product and launch them the same way that you would launch a product. And that's where social media comes in. That's where SEO comes in. That's where seeding with influencers comes in. That's that's where all the sort of traffic jam concepts come in. And, and what I say about social in particular is that content is fire and social media is gasoline. What you want to use social media for is an amplification device to get people aware of great content. Uh, and most people do it the opposite, right? They still treat social media like the world's shortest media release, which yeah. is not not terribly effective. Yeah. Well, in fact, I had this same conversation in, gosh, um, just released actually episode 34 with Eric Enger. And we were talking about content and, you know, he rightly pointed out that his best content was all created when he first started his blog. You know, his first six posts were freaking awesome, but no one ever read them because he kind of forgot to promote them right. and tell people that yeah. they were there. And I think it is a common mistake. People put a lot of effort perhaps into their content and being useful, but you know, forget why it doesn't actually take off and become useful to them. Now it's a competitive, it's a, it's a, it's, you know, it's a competitive landscape, right? And it gets, it literally gets more competitive every day. Yeah. And that's tough. Yeah. Now you've just redesigned the convince and convert website, Jay, what lessons from the past six years of the convince and convert agency have you managed to integrate into the new design? Well, as you said, we've been doing this for a while. This is, I think our fourth, maybe fourth design um, in that period. I think that's right. Uh, and, you know, we it is much more of a company now. I mean, there was a time where Convince and Convert was fundamentally 
me. Uh, and that's definitely not the case now. There's eight of us and it functions much more like a corporation and we work with lots of big companies. And we, I just needed to put a little more emphasis on the consulting side and the fact that this isn't just a blog. It isn't just a media company, but it's a, a very successful consulting firm as well. So change some of the messaging and actually have a homepage now. So for the, for the entire history of the company, the blog was the homepage. Yeah. Uh, and now we actually have a real homepage. Um, tried to also, um, insert some more organic ways for people to get on our email list um, and and sort of put those in streams so that people are reading content and then it sort of nudges them to sign up for the email without using pop-ups. And so we'll see how that goes. It's too early to make a call on the effectiveness of that. Also trying to increase uh, not just not just traffic, but uh, but time on site and pages per visit um, by encouraging people to read a blog post and then, hey, I should read another blog post and another blog post. Uh, I don't think we're quite there yet. We maybe need to make a, a few more adjustments to get where we want to go there. But, you know, the thing is, you're never done, right? No. I mean, you're never, ever, ever done. It's always an iterative testing process. And, you know, the next step is we just redesigned our email but I don't like it and it's not performing the way I want it to. So now we got to go back to the drawing board on that uh, and, uh, you know, and, and rework the email template again. Well, one element certainly that has drawn attention in the content marketing space is the exclusion of dates on your blog post. Mm. Um, yeah. Your decision to do so was based on your claim that it increases traffic. Now, this is something I'm certainly interested in. How is that so? It, and it's funny, you talked about Joe. Joe and I had got a little debate about this, uh, Joe Pelizzi. Well, I, he I think I heard him yeah. too, right? He's, uh, I think maybe, perhaps one of his recent podcasts, him and uh, Robert Rose were, were talking yeah. about it. And, and uh, yeah, they were certainly shedding some light <laughs> with their opinion. It was good stuff. Yeah, and and, and we took um, dates off the blog last fall. So it's probably been about eight months, I would say, seven, seven eight months um, since we took them off. And, and it wasn't, you know, I, I didn't have any um, massive plan there other than, you know what, there's a lot of posts that we have that that are true other than the date that they're published, right? Because we're in the and therefore business, because we're not in the news business. Yeah. Um, and, and so a lot of our content has a longer shelf life than content that you'll find in other blogs in the content or social media space. And I'm like, you know, why are we, why are we, um, artificially constraining the value of this content because we happen to put a date on it. Uh, and, and so I said, well, let's just take it off and see what happens. Um, and if it doesn't work or people freak out, then we'll put them back on. Uh, and within about 30 days, we started to see significant traffic changes. Uh, and there are other things that, that have um, driven this, I'm certain. But what I can tell you is that traffic has doubled since the dates were taken off. Now, is that because of dates? I can't say. It's a correlation, not a causation. But yeah. um, but the chance of me putting them back on now uh, is zero. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it, it's not going to happen. Now, I, I should admit there are occasionally people. I probably get three emails a eh, two emails a week from people who either email me personally or use our contact us form and say, "Hey, I'm reading this blog post. I really like." Uh, in many cases, when we do research coverage, right? Hey, I really like this research paper on Facebook statistics. I don't know when this was published, though. Is this still valid? I do get those emails on occasion. I'm sympathetic um, to that. So what I'm thinking about doing is is putting into the actual content itself, like, hey, 
this post was originally written on this date, but not making it part of the metadata. So that way, I think we would we would gain or continue to keep the traffic gains, um, but also make it a little more useful for readers. Yeah, that's interesting. So for you, is it the organic search traffic that seems to have, have increased since the taking yes. off of the? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The other other traffic. Um, you know, referral traffic and email traffic and social traffic has gone up, but the organic search traffic from Google uh, is up a hundred and something percent um, since the dates came off. That's very interesting because you'd think based on the date that that, fir- that page was first indexed, Google would know when it was from. So the date shouldn't really make a difference. But hey, I mean, uh, yeah. I guess- and again, and again, I, I don't have I cannot I want to make sure people recognize I cannot prove that <laughs> it could have been that Google. We just sort of got that that tipping point, which happens, you know, when yeah. people get enough traffic and the blog gets enough authority and we passed five years and we got a lot of links from a lot of their blogs. And you just sort of get to that magic sort of page rank place where all of a sudden um, also, you know, I should also say that that was essentially um, contemporaneous with with Hummingbird too, yeah. uh, and and so you know we took dates off about the same time that Hummingbird rolled out, and we do have good content. We've been doing it for a long time, so I'm sure there's multiple factors at play. Yeah, sure, sure. Well, one other thing that I heard that you may be following suit on is copy bloggers lead on potentially removing blog comments as well. What's your thoughts on that? Yeah, it's it's tricky. Uh, in fact, I had an, a terrific conversation with Brian Clark from Copy Blogger uh, on my podcast, Social Pros, about three weeks ago, right after he announced that decision. And we talked for 45 minutes or an hour about it, quite a bit in depth. So if people are interested in his thinking there and kind of want some inside baseball conversation about it, um, you should listen to that episode or, or read the transcript. But, mm. um, you know, we have sort of the same situation they have, um, just a little bit smaller in that, you know, Convince and Convert gets a lot of traffic now. Um, the comments that we get are are not always, but largely uh, insignificant um, in terms of number and also sort of quality. Uh, there's tons and tons and tons and tons and tons of people either putting in spam comments, which usually get removed automatically, but but it it's the pretend spam comments, right? It's the it's the pretend comments that are actually spam. Those are the ones that are really annoying, and those are the ones that Brian's had a challenge with as well. Uh, and and like Copy Blogger, what we find is that most of the best conversations around our content don't take place on the blog. Yeah, it, it takes place on Facebook, it takes place on LinkedIn, it takes place on Google Plus, and I'm okay with that. Like that, that's to me that's good news, not bad news. Yeah. So we haven't uh, we haven't pulled the comments off yet, and we may not. Um, but I'm certainly thinking about it. Yeah, interesting. Well, we'll make sure the link to that um, conversation is placed within the show notes of today's episode. Now, a whole section of your book, Utility, discusses the various metrics by which your marketing can be measured. Um, In this digital world where almost every action online can be recorded, you know, clicks, paid views, time on site, all of that got that good stuff. What are the best ways to accurately keep score and know whether the marketing we are doing is effective? It really depends on what you're executing and what your goals are as a business. But but the most important thing is to tie content metrics to business outcomes, right? The goal isn't to be good at content. The goal is to be good at business because of content. And those aren't necessarily the same things, right? Just because somebody downloaded your SlideShare presentation doesn't mean shit. It doesn't make you any money. Yeah. Right. And this assumption and this assumption that that makes you money is wrong unless you can prove it. So in some cases, you can't prove it. Right. If you don't sell online uh, or you're just not a B2B company that knows when somebody buys from you, you can't necessarily prove it um, mathematically. Right. The trail goes cold. If you're selling licorice. Right. Um, 
and and you're a licorice manufacturer, you can't say, well, this Facebook post generated this much licorice. All you know is when you go to the store, there's less licorice there and you got to restock the shelves, right? So in those cases, you really have to rely on correlation. And that's where survey work becomes really important. Not nearly enough survey work is being done right now where you need to be surveying customers and say, okay, what do you buy from us? And by the way, are you connected to us? Do you read our content? Do you watch our videos? Do you hang out with us in social? And then compare the lifetime value of those people uh, against the customers who aren't connected with you in, in that way, and then make some financial calculations um, there. But in general, when I talk about in the book, there's four categories of metrics, and I think this is helpful for people. Um, you have consumption metrics, so views and, um, you know, uh, those kind of things, right? Um, yeah. People consuming your content. Then you have sharing metrics, so that's what we usually call engagement, so tweets and plus ones and what have you. Then you have lead generation metrics, which is, you know, um, did they fill out a form or did they go to your pricing page, for example, which in many cases you could consider a lead because no one's going to do that for fun. They're only doing that because they're interested. And then, of course, you have sales metrics in some cases if you can actually track that. So did somebody buy something from us? So those are the four categories. And what you need to do is have some representation in each of those categories that makes sense for your business. If you can do that, you'll be better at content metrics than 98% of the companies out there. Yeah, for sure. Cool. Well, I think as we draw to a close, Jay, let's talk a little bit about your podcast. It's called the Social Pros Podcast. How effective a marketing channel has that been for your business? Because I think you've been investing a fair amount of time in it recently, right? Yeah, I've been doing it for uh, almost two and a half years now. We're at episode 113, 114, something like that. In fact, I'm going to record two shows this afternoon. Um, it's been great. Uh, we each week interview somebody who is a social media manager or content marketing manager, director, vice president for a typically major companies. So um, we've had dozens and dozens and dozens of, of Fortune 500 um, companies on the show. And it's, it's a really useful podcast because those stories don't get told yeah right it's not like you've got a million places where you can go figure out exactly what the guy who manages content for delta faucet does every day what their strategy is what software they use and what their kpis are right those stories just don't get told and the reason we started the podcast and the and the the the, the slogan for the show is real people doing real work in social media and we're really you know, we're really dedicated to that, telling the stories of people out there who are in the trenches, who are managing these programs for companies who never have an opportunity to tell their story. So it's it's gone really well, and it's had a huge impact uh, on on our business because most of the people that we work with on the consulting side either end up being on the show or have been on the show first or things like that. And the kind of people that we want as clients are the kind of people that listen to the show. So it's all yeah. very symbiotic. Yeah, and I could see that. And I think, you know, this podcasting space is filled with a bunch of kind of hobbyists who are just doing this as a way to entertain themselves, I think, without any real thought as to how useful it might be for their business. It's very clear that your podcast is totally aligned with the target market that you want to reach. Well, it's it's a tactic that that many businesses can employ. And we actually tell people this all the time, like, look, create a podcast that interviews your future clients. That works in every business, right? yeah. it's not, and it's not that hard. Um, you just have to you know, commit to it. Yeah, and what better way to connect with potential customers than to get them on your show and give them a bit of airtime, a bit of spotlight in the right channels, right? 
it's a lot easier to build those relationships and you say, hey, can you be on this very, very popular podcast as opposed to, hey, can we sell you something? <laughs> which, of those, which of those is an easier email to send? Yeah, yeah, no contest. <laughs> now, let's close up with um, a, a question about how you've built the podcast. From one podcaster to another, what are the strategies that you've implemented that have been successful for you growing social pros audience? Uh, you know, we've always had very detailed uh, show notes. We used to do full transcripts. And so each each podcast is a blog post. Um, and, and so it shows up on the blog. And that that definitely helps because it's getting found in Google and people share it in social, those kind of things. Certainly encouraging people who are guests on the show uh, to talk about the show. We actually have badges that we give each each guest um, that they can put on their own blog that says they've been on the Social Pros podcast. Nice. We send uh, we send each guest uh, a very nice um, USB headset as well to make sure that the audio quality is strong and, and that's theirs to keep. Um, we have uh, started doing a series of eBooks. The first one rolled out last month called the Social Pros All-Stars where we compend um, information about guests and sort of make that a, a real focus on them and kind of gets people excited about it. And then we also do quite a bit of retargeted advertising, James. So we have um, retargeted pixels set up on the Convince and Convert blog, also specifically on the Social Pros uh, podcast pages. And so each week we change the creative of the banner so it says who's on the show this week. Nice. So if you're kind of surfing around and you might see it on ESPN or who knows where you'll see it and say, hey, this week, Social Pros podcast, this week's guest is XYZ. So just to kind of keep the show top of mind. Uh, and that's been really helpful as well. That's nice. It is actually something that I've thought about myself, but not yet implemented. So uh, glad to hear you're using it with great success, Jay. Now, if our listeners want to find out a little bit more about you and connect with you, where will you be hiding out on the web? You can find me pretty easily. Uh, you can go to jbear.com, B-A-E-R, uh, and that's got information about me and the speaking side of our business. Uh, and then convinceandconvert.com contains our blog and the podcast and our daily email and a bunch of eBooks and all kinds of other stuff. Fantastic. Well, all of the resources mentioned by Jay can be found in the show notes for episode 36 on trafficjamcast.com, along with links to Jay's various homes on the web and a full transcript of today's episode. So just before we close out, Jay, I want to thank you again for your time and expertise. I've thoroughly enjoyed our session today and hopefully we'll get time to do it again sometime soon. I would love to do that. Great job and uh, congratulations on the show. That's a terrific podcast and we'll see you down the road. This week's news in traffic. Right, so it's quite a light week of news this week, but I do have two stories, both of which are coming out of Google. The first of which I picked up from techcrunch.com. And the story is here that Google are introducing some new products relating to the marketing of applications. So these are products for app marketers. Google seem to be very much following in the footsteps of Facebook and others with this new introduction and certainly realize that app marketing is driving a huge amount of revenue growth and they've got to be a little bit more nimble in producing products that better fit app marketers. So I'll give you a little rundown on what they've added. The first product is an in-app install ad and these will be displayed on Google's display network where advertisers can target users based on the apps that they've already installed and the usage patterns for those apps. Now, as an example given by Google, someone that is marketing a calorie counting app could target someone who's already installed a running app. 
The second addition to this suite of products for app marketers is the YouTube True View Companion for Apps. And this is where Google are going to add some functionality to the True View ads that appear at the start of YouTube videos that as a consumer you can skip past where they'll be adding an additional app install call to action which will be shown just below the video. Now as an example I'll link off to this in the show notes for episode 36 so you can go and take a look at what this might look like. To promote re-engagement and app usage, Google have added for advertisers the option of deep links for search and display ads that can be shown to users who already have a related app installed. Now, advertisers can take users who already have the app installed directly to the most relevant page within their app from their ads on the search or on the Google Display Network. Now, this feature is essentially the same that exists for regular search and display ads where advertisers can add an extension and link to inner pages of their site. All of these features are expected to be rolled out in the next few months. Going to our second and final story of the day, but staying with the search giant, we can announce that Google are introducing Google Plus post ads. Now, don't be alarmed. We're not going to start seeing our Google Plus feed fill up with ads. Instead, this new ad format gives us the ability to turn our Google Plus posts into ads that feature on the Google Display Network. So it's a little bit like a Facebook page post ad that doesn't appear on Facebook itself, but on the internet elsewhere. So that's the concept. Now, there are some minimum requirements for these ads. I believe that you have to have a page with a certain size following or have a profile with a certain size following. So you're going to need to have a reasonably well-established Google Plus account before you get hold of these ads. But I certainly like the sound of them. They're kind of native in style, very much the craze of where advertising is moving and well worth checking out. So it's normally at this point in the show where I thank those people who've left either an iTunes or a Stitcher rating. But just as it happens this week, we've had no new reviews on either of those two platforms. So I really just want to say thank you to everyone who's left either a comment, a review, a rating or any form of feedback for Traffic Jam so far. I really do appreciate every single one of your comments. If you are a regular listener and you haven't yet left either a rating, a comment or review or any form of feedback for the show, I really would appreciate it if you reached out via one of the two main platforms, iTunes or Stitcher and left a rating or review there or just left a comment over at trafficjamcast.com. Your comments help me better understand what's good and not so good about the show so I can build a better show for you going forward. So if you have a spare one or two minutes this week, I'd really appreciate it. Head on over to iTunes or Stitcher and leave your rating and feedback for the show. The one minute traffic tip. Now, in the same way that I put my guests here on Traffic Jam in front of my audience, you can get more exposure to other people's audiences by getting interviewed. But unless you're a real household name, interview requests can be few and far between. So in order to get more interviews, I found that adding a PS in the footer of my email broadcast saying something like, PS, I'm available for podcast interviews, prompts subscribers to ask, 
And as long as that person requesting has an established website or podcast show with at least a few episodes, I will accept because it puts me in front of a new audience and gets more traffic to my own site. So if you're knowledgeable on a particular topic or have an interesting story to tell, your action step this week is to add a PS to your email footer mentioning that you accept interviews. Thank you, listener, for tuning into this episode number 36. I will, of course, be back in about seven days from now with episode 37. On the agenda is going to be a concept called content shock. So tune in next week to find out what all that is about, because I'm going to be discussing that and how to better leverage content distribution by my guest next week, Mr. Chad So I look forward to welcoming you back for that episode. Remember in the meantime to subscribe via iTunes and Stitcher Radio and to get direct links to all Traffic Jam episodes, go to trafficjamcast.com where you can join the discussion on this episode and get links to all of the resources and social media profiles and all of that good stuff mentioned today by Jay Bear. Also check out veravo.com for more traffic tips and training and to learn how I can help you get more traffic, leads and sales from the search engines and to help you take your business to the next level. Now we end this week's show with a track by Radiohead. The track title is 15 Steps and of course it's chosen by my awesome guest today, Jay Bear. So enjoy the track. I look forward to welcoming you back in about seven days. See you then. How come I end up where I started? How come I end up where I went wrong? Won't take my eyes off the ball again. You reel me out, then you cut the string.
Traffic Jam Podcast with James Reynolds. To know more about this program and to subscribe for future episodes, check out the website, trafficjamcast.com.